Yeah. <laughs> you always want good levels. You want good levels. Why do you in, want good levels? In life and love, good levels. Uh, so my, what I was taught about what good levels are is about the signal to noise ratio. You want a good signal right. to the amount of noise. Is that what levels in life and love are about? Good levels? Or is it more about intensity? Good question. I think like inherent to levels is the fact that there are different levels. So you know, it's the ups and downs. Okay. And you want some you want some good ones. <laughs> it's true. Okay, well, we have good levels. Uh, g'day everybody, welcome to Wombat Radio. Today we're chilling with Anna Mae Kirk in her apartment full of um, art in process, right? Yes, full of bits. Hammers full of Tupperware containers and, and hammers. and fans ta- and Tupperware and... Unwashed dishes and a single beer, some dying flowers. Perhaps an artist in process as well. <laughs> they go together maybe. Uh, do you want to set the stage by telling us who you are? Um, my name's Anna Mae Kirk. Cool. I am... And an artist sometimes, sometimes I'm a curator, sometimes I run a gallery space that's connected to UNSW. Um, I'm also the Arts and Culture EP at FBI Radio and some other stuff. Okay. Hyper overcommitter. Yeah. <laughs> How does that work for you? To... Just the internal scream is so loud at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, I see. Do less and do it better has been my, like, New Year's motto for the past couple of years and I just haven't lived Yeah, by I was going to say, we're in September. Yeah, next year, next year. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> Please. Do less and do it better. Hmm. Okay, well, do you want, should we talk about your art to start with? So on that table there's a hammer and there's a see-through Tupperware container and there's a fan that's not forceful enough and you're going to need to replace and what is this in aid of this is so this was to make a prototype of like a large mist making generator so i've been i'm a part of this um exhibition at casual powerhouse that opens on the 28th of september i think called one past liverpool called one past liverpool and They've commissioned about 10 or 11 artists that are under 25 to make a new artwork that responds to Casula Powerhouse's history. And so I've been thinking about Casula Powerhouse as a power station for Mm. nine years of its... A coal power station? A a coal-powered power station. Um, And the way that that works is you burn coal to boil water, which causes steam. The steam spins the turbines which generates electricity. And so essentially what you're doing is you're like burning deep time and deep past to make like, to power the present essentially. So I've been thinking about those like time zones and thinking about the type of coal that Casula Powerhouse burnt as well, which was from the Permian period. And something that's really interesting about this period of time is it is known for having the biggest climactic extinction event that the world has ever seen to date. Oh, uh, so far. So far. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See you in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so lots of the things that died during that climactic event were compounded and formed the coal that Casual Powerhouse burnt. 
And then you think about another time scale, which is by burning this coal, you're affecting the climactic future of this place and of the planet mm. by, you know, putting these things in the atmosphere mm. um, and, and accelerating climate change. Perhaps causing another mass extinction. Yeah, pretty yeah. ironic. So I've been making... <laughs> that one mass extinction <laughs> can cause the next. Totally. Right, through totally. us. Yeah, yeah, one mass extinction can power the next. Wow. Um, but thinking about returning steam to Casula Powerhouse, and I've been working with Ainsley Walker, who's a perfume maker, to create a scent that brings together botanicals from each of these periods. So from okay. the Permian period, thinking about like ferns and mosses and yeah. damp soil and those kind of smells. And from the present, so I've been chatting with Lauren, who's the Casula Powerhouse gardener, who's great. And she's been teaching me all about the incredible plants that are really thriving in the Casula area at the moment. Um, So some of those and then some scents speculatively from the future, like smoke and heat and introduced grasses, which are really going to thrive in that like new, really hot, dry, drought prone environment. That's um, the one you did recently with the shrub? Kind of like leaning on from that artwork. Yeah. So, yeah, at Casula Powerhouse there'll be this drain that's embedded in this kind of fake floor and that mist, so this, there's this, like, mist maker underneath this drain, so it, like, slowly steams up and it steams up with the scent yeah. that joins it. It's this very ugly contraption I've made, but it's hidden by a beautiful plinth that's getting made, <laughs> so it's all good. <laughs> okay, yeah? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've been working on. And people recently. will go, people will know all that as they walk through and smell the stuff? Probably not, but okay. hopefully there's some text that goes along with it that okay. um, tries to explain. But I also think just seeing a drain slowly misting, misting or, mm. or steaming is like returning, it's like letting something leak out, like a history leak out or an idea Ooh, leak out. Leakage. Or, yeah. Yeah. Making, yeah, breaking something open a little bit, which is a nice interpretation as well even if you don't have the full gamut of knowledge about the artwork and the like part of your work as the artist is to learn all these things and then connect dots between past and present and future and then what is powering what and what is being leveraged to facilitate an engagement with the other and then somehow construct it poetically into an object or an experience or a space that we can experience in the present on our time scale as humans. And then also it's about writing something that goes with it, right? That's your writing, the thing that goes with it. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like the wall text. Yeah. The The wall. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, from the theatre world, I think of the wall text as the program. Yeah. Um, And I guess your bio isn't on it and, like, your picture and stuff. Hopefully not. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine? But quite often people get someone else to write the text. And so I wonder how, if the like, if you can talk about the words coming to you versus the object coming to mind versus the scent coming to mind, like all these different considerations and how they... I'm asking you a question about process and about yeah. how linear it is versus which part is just like the logistics of finding a hammer so you can make the thing mm. and are you just like finding the words so that you can make the wall text yeah. or is other, other words also part of a poetic untangling of the thing that you're thinking about? 
I think with this work in particular, the aesthetic of it starts from this strangeness or like something uncomfortable happening, like yeah. a drain. Or the building looking like it's leaking, Ooh, almost. Yeah. Um, and then the scent, scent is so linked with the personal and memory. Yeah. And it's one of the only art forms that literally needs to enter your body and come alive in your body in order to be experienced. Tell so me it's about like, that. Well, it's like invisible molecules in the air yeah. entering your nose Ooh. and reacting with your brain, Ooh. having a chemical reaction with your brain. Wow. to be experienced and so it's an incredibly That's so intimate. intimate art form so the text that goes alongside it is really pragmatic yeah. because all these things are so abstract yeah i felt it was quite necessary to be like didactic about yeah, that yeah, yeah. information nice so they sit alongside each other in that way where it's like one's brain and one's feeling great that's lovely. I hope so. <laughs> I just hope it doesn't break. <laughs> I brought together water and electricity. It's like the oh, worst right. idea ever. <laughs> Where's the? Do you know where the electricity is coming from that will be powering your installation? Um, or like good what, question. what period they're burning to make the present? That's a good question. I will have to look into that. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting though, because because your powerhouse was only a functioning coal powerhouse for nine years, okay, and then it was left to become derelict, okay, and became because um, we didn't need that much power. It was just a really small power station, so like mm. a bigger one was built elsewhere, okay, um, yeah, and so it just it was became out of use, it became derelict, actually became like a renowned gay beat. Oh wow! And then. The city of Kusula, the community of Kusula, voted to make it an art centre, which I think is amazing. That's amazing. Like, I, I'm not sure if it could happen now in this kind of climate. No. But, yeah, it really warms my heart to think that, like, that, that push happened. Yeah. Really nice. Uh, I'm going to refer to the list of questions I wrote for you. Is that all right? Excellent. <laughs> I um I usually, you know, people usually just keep talking, but I guess you're. Okay, there's a long list. I want, but I want to talk about running dancing workshops. Okay. Because haven't you been running movement workshops? Yeah, they're the best. <laughs> I love them so much. Like half running them just for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're like in the role as curator once again. I guess so, yeah. It's been a part of AD Space, which is this gallery I run that's connected to COFA or UNSW Art and Design. Um, and I kind of saw like a real gap in the education in the art school for performance. Yeah, right. Like performance, there's a stream called SPI or Sculpture Performance Installation, but performance is kind of maybe taught a bit less within that or less focused on or less up-to-date. Like, I just remember Marina Abramovic being mentioned once and then, like, no performance ever again. Okay. Good. Is that all there is? No, there's definitely a lot more. <laughs> um, so this year we've been inviting different emerging and established performers to lead a two-hour dance or movement 
workshop called Movement Lab for students, but also the general public can come as well. And usually about like a cap of like 12 people. So it's really cute and intimate and really beautiful community has come out of it. Everyone's mm -hmm. really supportive of each other and really open to all the things that happen within the workshops. And they're essentially an introduction of like performance strategies that people can then go away from these workshops having like done two hours of various tasks and apply to their own practice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it also like leads to these new communities and networks and performance is so physical that I think you become like fast friends Yeah. in the performance world. It's really lovely. It's probably one of the most fulfilling things that I do in my job there. Hmm. It's been really beautiful. What is the decision-making process around who to get in and what they will share when they're leading the session? Um, I've been trying to reach out to performance artists that come from different angles, I guess. Mm. So like Sarah Rodigari did one and she's more text-based or like thinking about theatre almost. Um, and then like Ivy Warren did one and it was more dance-based and like experimental movement. So trying to think about, like, if one person comes to multiple workshops, how can each workshop be different and provide different strategies and different ways into performance yeah. um, for that person? And, like, people regularly come to multiple. each one. So right. it's been wow. really nice, yeah. And do you are you interested in performers or they need to be... Um, performance people I think like, like how I'm sorry not to put you on the spot about what is the thing I'm interested in hearing you talk about what are the attributes that are useful in this context from performance makers versus just getting someone who does a musical for example who knows how to perform and all that stuff yeah hmm. like what is it that someone like Ivy is bringing to it because of the breadth of her practice that she wouldn't have brought it to it, like, say, 10 years ago and I met her and she was just an incredible dancer. Mm. And now her practice has become other things and other interests. Yeah, I guess the people I've been reaching out to are just people in the performance world that I really admire nice. their practice as well yeah. or, like, look up to them in some way. Yeah. And so engaging them because I know that after this breadth of forming their practice, mm. they're kind of at a stage where they can share these strategies or have formulated strategies, whereas mm. I guess when you're starting out, you're a bit more like, what am I doing? Yeah. Well, I guess I'm also asking, like, why not just get in a, a triple threat from, like, the Lion King musical? And what is the difference between a performer and what you're trying to offer? In this Triple series. threat from Lion King musical is a great idea. <laughs> okay, great. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I don't know. There's something really specific, and I don't think that I can find words for it. Me neither. That's why I'm asking the, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he's on text based. Oh, shit. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I think there's something really specific and almost unsaid about each of that link each of these performers. They're in a very maybe like specific scene or specific scenes in Sydney's performance mm -hmm. that is like creating 
experimental performance that is pushing these boundaries of what performance can be or how performance can intersect with non-performance practices. Mm. Like I think some artists can have like performative studio practices but they're like a painter mm-hmm. or like perform performance like when you're looking at an artwork, you're looking at an artwork not as just like floating eyeballs, you're a body and so the body is inherently connected to mm-hmm. everything that you do but also your art practice no matter mm. what it is. Mm-hmm. So I think like these artists have proposed really interesting strategies that would be able to be applied to multidisciplinary practices. Yeah, right. Whether you want to go into dance or whether you're like actually a printmaker and you're thinking about like, I don't know, something else. What printmakers think about? Dancing and printmaking. <laughs> have you led one? I haven't led one. I don't think I could. Okay. I don't think I'm because you perform in like, a lot of work. Yeah, I've performed in a bunch of other people's works over the past two years, which has been really rewarding. I think I'm really in like the learning zone. Okay. Yeah, but I'm really like keen and happy to be there. In the learning zone. In the learning zone. Mm. I, I'm in the nest, and I don't want to jump out yet. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see. So when you were talking about not just not viewing art as a pair of eyeballs, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about when you're performing in other people's work that you're not being art as a pair of eyeballs for a pair of eyeballs. Like somehow mm. you're now... Because this, this mist, you will set it and you won't have to be there. It's not your body that they're coming to look mm. at. But when you're um, dealing with the soil or when you're wetting... The, the, oh, the carriage clay. works. Yeah, yeah. Like, work. yeah. yeah. Like all of these things, people are, see, people are seeing the work through your body. Mm. How, what is that? How do you deal with that and how do you consider that and, and are you going to do that for your own work and are you interested? Or... Yeah. Or if you're know. not, why not? Why is it good to put your like, body into the hands of somebody else and it doesn't interest you to put your work into your own body? Or... I think, yeah, I haven't... The last time I performed was at Queer New Work and... Was that... It was really good. Wet welding? No. Yeah, it was the, like, speculative fiction work about aquatic apes <laughs> and, the, and the end of the world. Okay, should we unpack that for listeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was thinking about is um, this theory that opposes the, like, largely accepted evolutionary narrative yeah. that man descended from, and this is man in quotational marks. Well, it's man as um, it was, not man as it now currently is yeah. used. Yeah. Um, descended from the trees onto a savanna plane. Yes. And there's this other theory by this female scientist, which was largely dismissed, and largely dismissed because it was the 1980s and she was a female scientist. Right. Um, which is called the aquatic ape theory. Yeah. And it's this theory that man descended from the tree, not into a savanna environment, but into a more aquatic environment. And so this explains why we have subcutaneous fat, which is this, like, thin layer of fat that goes across our whole body, 
explains why we're like naked or furless. Explains why we stand on two legs because water to get up out like, of the water. Um, well, to keep your head above water. And if you ever watch videos of monkeys, the only time they ever stand on two feet is when they're wading through water. But also their bodies are aided by the like gravitational lift that right. water gives you. So that's why there's also um, pregnant aqua aerobics. Of course. For that support. For that exact reason. Yeah. Yeah, they'll it's back evolutionary. Me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also things like our diet would have been, if this theory was true, yeah. our diet would have been largely composed of fish, which has a lot of omega three in it. Oh, it's for which the brain. Would explain why, you know, humans are so arguably intelligent. <laughs> um, some humans? yeah, so, why some humans are arguably intelligent. Um, yeah, so there's this like really interesting counter theory to right. evolution. Yeah. And so when I was making this performance for like during the Queer New Work development program that Performance Space does, I was thinking about this alternate timeline where life came out of the water mm. and evolved into humans. And then human oh no, into apes. And then apes descended from the trees into this aquatic environment and again in water evolved into what we would consider human. And then humans ascended from water and went like now where we are. But now with climate change and rising tides, like maybe a return to the water is the next evolutionary phase or the like way forward or the way of progress. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that like speculative narrative as a way of grappling with this kind of dooms narrative that we're fed so much in the media about climate change. I thought it was really interesting because I think storytelling is such a more accessible way of giving possibilities or giving information than being really didactic. Yeah, of imagining the future yeah. into existence. Do you have Okay, all of that's really cool and uh, there's a lot more to unpack. I think we'll come back to it. Do you have a story about your future? Like have you imagined? I don't even know where I'm going to be living in four <laughs> weeks, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, what, that's the thing. So I was asked recently about like mental health within dance community mm. and one of the key things I think that disrupts disrupts it is the inability to form a cohesive narrative of your yeah. life and where it's going and where it's come from and what it's building towards and the value that you're doing in the community you're a part of and all that sort of un, that shifting sands, mm. uh, which is no different than any other, um, like, uh, disposable worker, really. Mm. Like, everyone is facing that. But then... That's why I brought it up, how we're talking about the consideration of this alternative narrative. We put it back on par with the accepted theory as mm. equally plausible. Mm. Then it sets up a different future for ourselves. And so I want to, I was just really, I am interested in about the future you're setting up for yourself. Like as an inquisitor as an artist as a person in the world like 
you're going to run these dance classes for the rest of your life. You're not going to live here for like more than a month. Because it's like, it's sub, it's like, what, what is this called, this program? It's the City of Sydney Creative Live Work Residency. <laughs> I don't know what it, the acronym you is. You get it for <laughs> one year, but it's more like 10 months? or No, it's been almost a year okay. exactly. Okay. I think there's like two weeks shorter than a year. I've been robbed. <laughs> <laughs> And you, you live in this great location where you can walk down the road to First Draft or Arts yeah, Space or across incredible. the hill to Critical Path. Yeah. It's been really wonderful. And living in an apartment block of six other artists yeah. has been so, like, felt so safe, not just physically safe but, like, creatively safe as well and really held. Yeah. It's been really beautiful and I don't want to leave, <laughs> but I have to, so... So what um, are you doing next? Scrolling on okay. domain.com. Oh, no. Yeah, it's real depressing. Because you're kind of past the age of flatmates.com. Like yeah, I've just lived in so many share houses that have either been, like, kind of weird or horrible or, yeah. like, really impersonal oh, that no. I don't really want to live in another one. Right, and now you're back to this whole this building which is personal and yeah. you feel like people... Oh, I've just been spoiled for a year and now I'm getting sooky about it. <laughs> I'm a spoiled brat. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. What and are we talking about? We're talking about <laughs> imagining your future rather than just imagining letting it happen to Imagining my future. Yeah. I, like, I think that's actually an exercise that I should do and haven't done. Okay. And I think letting giving yourself that time is a luxury that we don't often do in the arts when arts funding is like year by year and mm. planning your creative life is usually year by year because it's application-based to organisations and stuff like that. So I'm living in like 2020 in my brain at the moment, but like 2021 seems like a total abyss. Mm. And I will have finished finally after like eight years or something my undergraduate degree <laughs> next year. Woo! Wow. <laughs> it's about time. So, <laughs> so like that's a that's an end as well. Mm-hmm. And leaving this apartment is a bit of an end. Mm. So yeah, I'm actually a bit of a loss. What that next like big mm-hmm. step is, but not so frightened by it. More like excited and nervous to find out what that is like whether I push more into cure like the curatorial side of um what I've been doing or try like give art a red hot go help me all (laughs) yeah do you think that you're just like laxing on art at the moment you're chillaxing on it and there's more that you can give it 100% you seem pretty prolific I've only really made two artworks this year. Or three. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Yeah. I don't know. But when you you say made, like, you haven't just painted them and put them up the wall. Like, you've created and constructed and exhibited. Of course, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you would say you've brought to the world these three shows of yours. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing. Totally. And much bigger thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can just feel like this, like, potential energy mm. around 
um, how, what I've been, things I've been thinking about and ideas I've had that I just haven't had the time to actualize or to actualize in a way that I'm like happy Mm-mm-mm. with. Is there so, any you want to talk about? Um, just thinking about scent more just broadly. Just told me I should ask you about scent. Yeah. I'm, well, I made a perfume. Tell me. Um, tell me more. I mean, tell me and everybody which else. Was, which was like, because I, I, I did this workshop to learn about perfumery and how yeah. it works and how perfumes are made and um, the scents that go into them and wow. all these different things. And that was, again, with Ainsley Walker, who works with artists like Tamara Dean. To, so she's got, like, a perfumer hat but, like, an art hat, which I think is really cool. But thinking about scent as this, yeah, this very intimate artistic medium that literally needs to actualize in your body in order to be experienced. And so there's so much potential in that inside space, like the inside of the body is an artistic space instead of, you know, a gallery space or an online space or it's like so grounded in the body. And I think being so grounded in the body has a lot of performative potential. Yeah. And I don't know where that'll go. But I know, I'm, but really I'm getting excited listening to you. Yeah, I'm just really interested in smelling the art <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah i do know but i also i'm excited in the, the version that you know the version that you will imagine rather than the version that i'm imagining yeah yeah i just think it's a, also an artistic medium that has been like underutilized mm. or maybe it's only in recent times that there's been kind of the technologies to bring it into mm-hmm. artworks like mm-hmm. scent atomizers and that kind of thing. How does a scent atomizer work? It is like this really thin pad that's within this like silver circular mechanism or within like something that you'd buy from Muji, like a $90 plastic scent atomizer <laughs> thing. I did a terrible job of describing that. Um, they look like cylinder. Is it kind of work like vapes work? Where the like, liquid goes in and then maybe. it becomes vaporized? Yeah, almost like this pad vibrates so fast that the liquid that sits around it mists. Wow. Well, vaporizes, yeah. yeah. And then so the oil, like essential oils or the perfume sits on top of that water and gets caught by the mist. Ha- um, have you put your finger close to it? I think that's a really bad idea. Yeah, because... My mum runs a nursery and we have these things mm. in um, water fountains, water features that also mist yeah, up the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People use them in frog ponds. And yeah, stuff. and they're, like, safe because they're cool to the touch. Yeah. But I've touched it. Yeah. And you get, like, you feel a pinprick but you feel no, like, where it's coming from. You just suddenly feel it in the middle of the muscle. Wow. And you, I guess it's that, like, uh, I, I don't understand the technology. Yeah. I'd be making it up, but. It's cool that you can feel it as well. Yeah. It's atomizing my cells. Good. <laughs> I wonder what Matt is as a, as a scent. Matt. Is that how you say it? Like you as a scent. Yeah. My, I have two thoughts immediately. One is like versus glossy. So what is Matt versus glossy? But my actual other one was like what is me as a biome? 
True. Because would it come from that? Mm, and it does. Okay. Largely the um, bacteria in your gut alter and determine the way you smell. Can I change that? Yeah, I guess so, depending on what you eat. Okay. Like, make them really happy and see what you smell like. <laughs> Get some kimchi happening. Wow. I, um, I had a chat with Candy Bowers last week. Cool. And she was saying oh, that so cool. part of her decolonising efforts was in her show, One the Bear, was about being as careful with what you put in your mouth as what you put in your vagina and not allowing colonial culture to dictate what goes into your body. Yeah. And re-looking at it. And I guess this That's is just so a continuation of that thought. Yeah. Something something I've been thinking about a lot is the body as a home for many. Ah. And so thinking about your, myself as an individual but also myself as a community and myself as a place in which other things meet and other things grow and other things procreate and live out their lives probably is unaware of me as I am of them mm. on a daily level. Um, yeah, I'm curating a show next year in Brisbane that kind of explores these themes. Do you and have I a think... title for it? No, not yet. Okay. Yeah. Tell yeah, me kind of, yeah, no, no title yet. Yeah. I've been thinking about a few, but I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going um, okay, to embarrass okay, okay. myself by revealing them. I you thought... know when you make up really bad title lists? Oh. You know, like... I thought making art was all about embarrassing yourself. I thought that was the process of it making is. <laughs> You were right. <laughs> like, I just did a show called Hillbilly Thriller, and the whole time I'm like, who is asking for this show? Why does the world need it? And it was led by Joshua Thompson at Legs on the cool. Wall. Uh, but I completely trust his vision, and so I got on board as, like... Um, assistant director but also performer but then they needed someone to make the soundscapes and program the QLab so I'm like as on board as you can be yeah and then people love the shit out of it and I was like the whole time I had no idea what it was for and who it was for and I could have easily gone into embarrassment and instead went into excitement like there's maybe these are the levels we were talking about at the beginning Ah. you you want good levels (laughs) And that's a little bit of embarrassment, but also, like, a little bit of the good stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But embarrassment's just so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Ooh. Even second-degree embarrassment when you're, like, embarrassed for That's why I can't else. watch reality TV. Me neither, yeah. I'm so embarrassed It's so cringeworthy. Them. I get really tense. I get, like, leg cramps from watching reality TV because I get really, like, tense. Leg up. cramps? Yeah. <laughs> I, need some, I need to probably take some magnesium. <laughs> Uh, you were talking about the framework that you're building around this Brisbane event that you're curating. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about the body as a multiple, so less about centering the human as this individual and thinking about the individualised community and then thinking about this on like such a microscopic scale. We're thinking about the the biome that lives with the human Aren't we so lucky? Oh, sorry, I cut you off. But using... Oh, that's... You're forgiven. (laughs) (laughs) I was just... My friend went to Dakar to study some dance there and when she got back to Australia, she noticed that there was something living inside her and it was like this worm that we don't have here. yeah. But they have there and... Little worm friend. Yeah, there was just like living in her leg or something. Oh, God. And so she... 
went and got some antibiotics and it killed it, but it's still there. Like it's not alive anymore. Yeah. Can she get that out? Well, this is a question I have for you. Like if she's poetically considering, if we poetically consider the self as home to many, Mm. aren't we lucky that we live somewhere where the things that kill us are few Mm. that would like to live in our bodies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The body is a place for many is not, it's neither a positive nor negative thing. Right. It's not an open border policy. No, it's like you got no. To get you, okay. No, take those antibiotics. You need them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But more thinking of it as like lo- looking at this very microscopic relationship between our bodies and other bodies that live with it and how that can be used as a strategy of care mm. for living in the world mm. in a bigger way. Right. So because, decentering ourselves right. and decentering the importance of ourselves. Because we've become individually focused and valuing to reposition the individual as community then puts value back into thinking about mm. community as valuable. And even as a species, thinking how we think about ourselves so separate to nature and how we think about ourselves as the top of this imaginary hierarchy. Yeah. Well, and isn't the hierarchy damage. about who eats who? Well, that's the that's the food chain, I think. That's right. That's the hierarchy that I imagine that we're at the top of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like that. Yeah, we eat everything. Uh, yeah, and things. Some things try and eat us, but they're not around. I'm not mm. around those things, except crocodiles. Like where I grew up in Darwin, there's like you you grow a fear of water so that you don't yeah. get eaten by crocodiles. Yeah. Do you find swimming in, like, bodies of water scary? Yeah. Because of that? To this day, yeah. Yeah. I have a similar fear. I watched way too much um, Shark Week and Crocodile Week on (laughs) Animal Planet when I was a kid. So obsessed. So obsessed with Animal Planet. And I've just spooked myself, Mm. like, going to the beach, swimming in a river. I'm like, there's a shark here, and it's like... Freshwater Anna. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But there's actually like more likely to be a platypus there or something. Totally. It'll sting you. Yeah, right. Oh, I wish there was platypuses there. They are very cute. Mm. I don't even know what sound they make or what they smell like. No. I read something funny that a friend posted, Stella, that said... They saw some platypuses and they said that platypuses are mobile omelette makers because they produce milk and eggs. I know. Genius. Well, then I guess a chicken is a mobile schnitzel maker. True. I know, it doesn't produce breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a yeah. horrible way to think about animals. Um, yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah, I don't know how to resolve that. But you've got quite some crackers in, like, your various Twitter accounts across time. I don't have any Twitter accounts, do I? Not currently. Not literal Twitter accounts. Oh, God, you found my Twitter account? (laughs) How embarrassing. I found anime anime. Oh, no. And A-me. Oh, no, don't look at those. That's that's deep past. (laughs) Deeper past than, like, what powered the consumption. (laughs) Deep. Delete those. <laughs> that is so good. 
<laughs> They're really one-liners, kind of like that about platter pie, platypuses. I don't know which one it is, but apparently it depends if it comes from Greek or Latin. Whether it's S's it's like panini or, or I. not. Yeah, panini yeah. or paninus. Panina sounds wrong. Doesn't it? It sounds I like you're just stuttering. On delivery, <laughs> flicking down. Ah, yes, the paninus, please. <laughs> Do you kind of experience this as a kind of still life? Yeah, well, those. Uh, hey. Hi. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! That's recorded hey, as well. You can see the red, the red eye of. How you so going? I'm sorry, Dave. Those are my secrets. Oh, <laughs> no. I have nicknames for my girlfriend. Oh no! <laughs> but me, also nicknames for me. Oh, it's actually for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> of course. Um, you recording? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's just completely. Oh, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. Anna's very resilient. <laughs> like she can keep a train of thought with my interruptions. Uh, do you know what I want to ask you about next? Aggressive thoughts, <laughs> Is making social comment within making artworks and curating artworks. Yeah, I think that's a hard one to navigate. Mm, that's why I want to ask you about it. Yeah. Because I feel like you're doing it well. Oh, thank you. Well, it's also my I opinion doesn't matter. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we live in fear, but it's nice to live in fear of those kind of things. And yeah. Things. I feel like often I don't, like I don't want to be didactic and I don't want to speak for other people. I think that can often be the danger with curating is you can put yourself first Right. Or put your ideas in front of the artists right? Um, when you're bringing together that group of people. And I think it's really important that that doesn't happen and that the, like, idea formation happens collectively rather than, like, with this hierarchy of this one person having this genius idea and then... <laughs> and then like, outsourcing putting, putting to it the onto, artist to actually yeah. make the things. Yeah, yeah, like putting it onto the artists and their practice rather than it being formed with them. I like to think of the curator's job as so in lots of car racing video games, Mario Kart's is one of them, there's like a zone that if you drive over it you get a boost. Cool. And I, I think this is the curator's job is that the artist the is racing. <laughs> no. <laughs> the artist is racing. And their own track, and then if they come over here and get on the track with the curator, they should get a boost out of it. Excellent. Oh, I want to be a little ramp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how I'm going to reach out to these artists for this business show. Do you want me to do this for this? <laughs> so just picture this. Mm. We're in Mario Kart. <laughs> so how do you do that? Because I've, I've, had, I've only curated a very small amount of things. And mm, I kind of curate the way that I would, I guess, direct or choreograph, which is to get on board people and inspire the hell out of me mm. and then give them whatever they need, it, if I can, and also push back against whatever pushback they would be getting. Like if someone tells them they don't, that they can't do something, yeah, then I'll stand, step in the middle of that, for mm. example. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, like, the role is to support artists to be that middle man yeah. when it comes to like 
organizational pressures yeah. or like bureaucracy like the being the person that deals with that lets them just focus on what they need to focus on yeah but yeah. also for this show so ad space um recently we did an interstate gallery swap with tributary projects in canberra and that's where i'm going tomorrow to drive down to Canberra and deinstall okay. it. So do less, better. Do less, do it better. Yeah, <laughs> but actually tomorrow. just do everything. Just do everything and scream on the Instagram. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for this show, I brought together 11 student artists from UNSW Art and Design. Yeah. And over the course of a couple of months, we shared a Google Drive where we'd share readings that we were really interested in and then we'd meet up every three weeks or so and talk about ideas and talk about things that we liked in the readings talk about what we're working on at the moment and what we're thinking about working on and from that community of people some of which who knew each other and some who didn't these ideas were generated which is what ended up being the ideas in the show so it was trying to at least curate as a community or curate as a collective but then I would do all the like kind of administration and mm-hmm. the curating is just emailing surely so the emails <laughs> I guess so, like bring yeah. it to bring it together mm. but it was a really nice exercise in creating a little community and mm. getting really excited about this show and making it together. Mm. What's your biggest hope for all of the effort of being in works and also curating works to happen and also making works? Um, I guess at the end of the day... Like, yeah, I don't know. I I often, like, I do it out of need. Like, it's just who I am. And these roles maybe facilitate elements of my personality where, like, I want to bring together people and I want to do things collaboratively and I want to mm-hmm. work on projects with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plays into performance and it's like often performing in other people's works it's this this like fast community which I really love um and then curating similar where you bring together this group of people based on ideas and who are excited about ideas and making art that responds to these ideas and then art making is kind of compulsive and like it's just an itch I really need to scratch I've thought so often, like, when curating things, like, oh, maybe I'm not an artist and, like, maybe I should just focus on this instead. But then the I guess the grass is always greener and, like, I get really deep in that zone. I'm like, oh, got to get back in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's something about, if, if we're framing it as an itch that needs to be scratched, if there's something about the fact that, the push towards the required output to make it your career means that you're just continually scratching until it's raw Mm. and you're no longer getting that relief and 
satiation that comes with scratching an itch. You're just like yeah. causing harm and damage. Yeah, that's the danger of making art a job. Mm. It can be a job, but making it a job for yourself where it loses the pleasure yeah. and the excitement that you did it for in the first place, I think is dangerous and kind of what society tries to make art do often. Maybe all careers, like, maybe it would be really enjoyable to um, drive a truck four hours a day and then it's hell to drive it ten hours a day. But output dictates that a full-time job requires ten hours a day. Mm. Oh, but zombies for sure. <laughs> I think everyone has a point. Yeah. With the um, dressage horses. Yeah. I think Ivy One has many great points. Many good, good points. She's Hey, Ivy. She inspires the hell out of me. Shout out to Ivy One. <laughs> I met her in a dance workshop in Brussels. Cool. And I was like, this girl is too excellent to be <laughs> real. What's up with her? And then turned out, no. She still, just was. Still, still it, excellent. Was just, yep. just <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Um, no. I, I want to. It's been a long day. <laughs> I want to especially thank you for being available to things that you don't that don't come specifically from your own brain, but then you make them happen in the world. Like when I reached out to you, being like, "Hey, I've got an Instagram account, and I'd like to do an IRL gallery version of it," <laughs> and you're like, yeah, sure. "I can do that." <laughs> Let's make this happen. Yeah, and that legitimized oh, that mm, that was very legitimizing. And cool. then suddenly, I like, that. I was interviewed on like ABC Radio about it and shit, and then spoke about it at a conference in Manila a few weeks ago. Cool. It was like so. There's something about your belief in people and their efforts and their work that is legitimizing, and it definitely does that thing that I think about in my regards. Hell yeah, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it does that, and that it does that with such value. And uh, what do you call it? It starts with mm, integrity. Um, because you're also deeply engaged and inspired. I'm not speaking to an administrator. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. <laughs>